Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short, so glad to have you along on this Saturday morning where we not only talk about the Word, but we try and talk about something that might be in our current events, current issues if we can. Boy, isn't there a lot to talk about? We're just about a month away from election, and I'd like to talk about the question of should a Christian vote? Should you register? Is it a sacred responsibility or is it a worldly distraction? And indeed, this question comes up every four years and now every two years as we're about to have midterm elections. And indeed, as we see things that are happening in our nation, my goodness, they're talking now we're on the verge of a nuclear war. Can you believe it? They're talking about, uh, we, we know about inflation, gas prices, food prices. We've seen it. We, we were excited about the overturn of Roe versus Wade so that states would decide the, legal, the, the legality or illegality, the morality, the rightness of abortion. And now we're seeing FBI agents come with armed, armed FBI agents come with guns, multiple agents, and taking pro-life protesters, those who protest outside, those who, who counsel outside of an abortion clinic, taking them away to jail intimidating, drawn guns upon these peaceful protesters. And we're beginning, and, and we see others, that, my goodness, where the, all these abortion clinics, or, excuse me, all these pro-life clinics, pregnancy aid centers that were burnt to the ground, graffitied, vandalized, threatened, not a single arrest made in any of those cases. We're wondering what's going on in our country. And the question comes again, should you and I vote? Well, I'm reminded of what Edmund Burke said, that all that's necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And indeed, I believe we're at a time when, when uh, just basic goodness and common sense and decency calls upon good people, and Christians, you and I are good people, calls upon us to stand up and do our civic duty to do something to save our country, our society, our culture. But the question becomes, is it biblical? And I have Christian friends tell me they don't think it's biblical. I have Christian friends who don't even vote because they think it's not biblical. And I'd like to address this question this morning. And the other question, should we even be talking about it in the church? Here we come here, we come here each day when for this live stream or podcast, if you listen later, and we're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about the Bible. You want to be growing in Christ. You want to be growing as a Christian. And so is this something worldly? Is this something that isn't even under the sphere of what us Christians ought to be engaged in? Or is this part of our duty and responsibility as Christians? Well, to me, there's really a compelling verse on this. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, 1 through 5. First of all, then, he says, Paul is writing—now, he's writing to Christians. Chapter 3, verse 15 tells us, He's writing so that we would know how we ought to conduct ourselves in the church of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. What an interesting way to describe what the church is to be. The church in a society, in the world, is the pillar and it's the support of the truth. Indeed, we live in a culture called a postmodern culture in which truth has been sacrificed. Truth becomes whatever, whatever anyone wants it to be. Maybe it's because as the church, we have been failing to do our responsibility to uphold the truth. And it seems like our culture, this 
idea that there is no truth is winning. But if the church wants to uphold the, if it wants to uphold the truth, be the pillar and support of the truth, and conduct ourselves properly, first of all, he says, first of all, First Timothy two verse one, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that they that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We are to pray. We are to pray for our leaders. We are to pray for all who are in authority. All who are in authority, we are to pray. Now, God has established three realms of authority. The family, the church, and the government. Those are the three areas that God has established. We understand how as Christians we want to be praying for our families. We understand we want to be praying for our churches but how about praying for the government? Why does this become controversial? We, we all know that, that as Christians, we want to have Christian families. We want to have Christian churches. We want to have godly churches, godly families. Why do we think that the government is off limits in terms of being under the authority of God and praying for this? We'll talk about this in just a moment. But back to this, we should pray. Why do we pray? This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator also between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. People tell Some people say they, that they don't want politics or, or government or things like this to interfere with the gospel. Paul here is directly linking that our ability to lead a quiet and peaceful life that the that, that uh, free from the persecution, free from government interference, so that we could live. That we pray for our leaders, so that we could live our Christian lives without interference from the government. Why? So that the government, the gospel, can be advanced. There is a direct link here between the role of government and the advancement of the gospel. I know some people say that we should, you know, persecution would be good for the church. Well. It could be good. God can use it. God can even use evil for a good purpose. But Paul here is directly telling us that we should be praying for freedom. We should be praying for freedom. If we misuse it, we may be disciplined. God may bring a hand of purifying upon the church, a hand of judgment that purifies the church. But trust me, if you've ever been to a place where people really are persecuted, they, they wish for freedom. And brothers and sisters, we have it. We should use it while we have it. Jesus said, you were in the light. Walk in the light. The night is coming. Darkness is coming. Walk while you have the light. The day is coming when we may not have these freedoms. We want to use them. But he, he directly relates the gospel advancing to praying for kings, rulers, and authorities. Now, this was at a time when the people he was writing to, they did not have a vote. They could not lobby. They could not... They could not appeal to their leaders, their, their governmental leaders. Many of these people, they were under oppression. Many were slaves. And so what did he say to do? Pray for them. Pray for them. That's all they could do. But here's a principle of life, folks. If, if God wants us to always pray, but if you can do something about it and you don't do something about it, don't expect God to answer your prayer. I mean, this ought to be obvious. We ought to pray for our daily food, our daily provision. Okay, pray for it, yes. But if you can then go get a job and you don't go get a job, don't expect God to provide for you. You see what I'm saying? 
you have a responsibility. If you're going to pray for something, you have a responsibility to help bring it about if you are able. You have a role to play. In the early church, all they could do was pray. They didn't have a vote. Now we have a vote. Now we should pray. We must pray, but we must also do our part to help bring it about. At a minimum, I would think this means you register and you vote. Some of you are more involved. You, you campaign, you talk to people, you write letters, you post online, you contribute to financial campaigns. You, you, some of you may run for office. Whatever may be the case, you use your influence to help bring about what you're praying for. Is this not the serenity prayer? God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. We pray to God. We ask God. When we can make a difference, we make a difference. We have the courage to make that difference. Now, why do some Christians not believe we should even get involved? Why don't we talk more about these things? Why don't they realize this is our responsibility? I think there's several things I've heard. Number one, we live in a culture where we have been ingrained within us a separation of church and state. Some people, I talk to people on campus that tell me that as a Christian, I shouldn't even vote. Or that if I do vote, I should not be influenced by my Christian beliefs because of the separation of church and state. I say, are you kidding me? In our country, you can, you can be guided by anything you want. You can vote for a person because you like his smile. You can vote for a person because you like his race. You can vote for a person because you think he looks good or she looks good. You can vote for a person because you think they're funny. You can vote for a person because you heard some celebrity likes them. You can vote for a person because your group votes for them. You ought to vote intelligently and wisely. You ought to consider the candidate, who they are, what they stand for, what they've done, their record, what their beliefs are. And as Christians, we are compelled to compare their values and their beliefs and their agenda to what we see would, would be good and righteous according to God and God's word. If we don't, then don't be surprised when you have leaders who you groan over, who you say, oh, Lord, give us deliverance from these people. They're ruining our lives. They're ruining our economy. They're ruining our freedom. They're ruining, they're ruining values. They're, they're, they're making open season on unborn babies. They're, they're advocating what is godless, immoral, and we ought to be ashamed of. Don't complain if you don't get involved. You see what I'm saying? If you can't get involved, then pray. If you can pray and get involved, get involved. And then, and, and if you're doing your best, then you've got room to, to, well, we do all things without grumbling and complaining, if you know what I mean, but you've got a reason to be upset if you do your part. But friends, let's turn our, uh, our, our complaints into action, into footwork, so that we make a difference instead of just have something to complain about. Second, by the way, there is no separation of church and state in the Constitution. The Bill of Rights says that government shall not establish a religion, and so they can't tell us we're all going to be Baptist or Catholic or, or, or unbelievers or atheists. They can't tell us what we'd believe. But they also, it says the other side, they cannot um, uh, hinder the free exercise of our religion. And so we have every right as Christians to be involved in the civic processes and to live our lives in freedom. Some, some Christian leaders don't talk about it because they think their tax status would be at, at, at uh, risk. 
Indeed, since the 1950s, in the Johnson Amendment, when Lyndon Johnson was a senator, passed a, a law that if you that if a, a church or nonprofit organization uh, supports candidates, uh, tells people to vote for candidates, politics, they could lose their tax exempt status. Now, listen, if you're a pastor, there's a lot we can talk about. We can talk about issues. We can talk about a lot of things. You can even say what you as an individual are going to do. Uh, be careful about advocating. Say as a this is what this is who you ought to vote for. Be careful about that. However, there are churches every election where hundreds of them, where pastors record their message, tell people how to vote, send it to the IRS, and say, "Come sue me," because they know it's unconstitutional. And they know they'd win, and none of them have ever been challenged by the IRS. Another reason sometimes we don't talk about it is we don't want to be offensive. We don't. We think we should be a political. We only want to preach the gospel. We only want to be known for the gospel. We don't want our politics to get in the way of anyone believing the gospel. And and I I understand the concern here. I understand that we don't that we want the gospel to be supreme. We don't want political things. And sometimes we take a stand, a position for a political candidate or issue, and it backfires on us. It comes back to bite us, and we think, oh, I'll never do that again. Or I offended someone. I don't want to offend anyone again because you know I don't. I would never want to turn someone off to Jesus because of my politics. But understand, friends, while that is true, there's another side of the coin, and that is that that in Christ, He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. He has a Jesus has I believe has a say in what He'd like how He'd like our government to be, our country to be. Do you not believe that? He has a say in this, and you and I as Christian believers, ought to have a say. And if you're a Christian pastor, let me tell you, your people, there may be some who will be offended if you take a strong stand or an open stand. There may be some who will be offended. There's a, For everyone who will be offended, you've got 10 or more who are saying, give us leadership, guide us, speak to us, teach us. We need this. We need the affirmation, the encouragement, the support to know that our, our Christian leaders are guiding us in this way. Bill Brighton and Lauren Cunningham years ago in the 70s, they came up with what they believe were the seven mountains of culture, seven cultural influences. They are religion, or shall we say the church, family, government, education, business, media, in our day it includes social media, and the arts and entertainment. My friends, these are seven areas where they said if we really want revival in the land, we've got to influence all these. Now, God specifically established three of them, as I said earlier, religion or the church he established. Uh, Jesus in, in Matthew 16 talks about that. The family, God established the family of creation when he, Adam and Eve, and then government he established after the flood of Noah when he gave the right, whoever sheds man's blood by man's blood should be shed, the first government that God established, and God gave us this. Throughout Scripture, we see these three, the, the family, the church, and the government, we see false religion, we see bad families, and we see bad government. But we also see where God says what he wants the family to be like, what he wants the church to be like, and he wants the government to be like. And friends, you and I, I believe, have a sacred responsibility to do our part wherever we can. We live in a—to have godly families— to influence them, to stand against the cultural influences seeking to destroy the family, to have godly churches, to stand against the influences that want to defile the church and get the church off off track uh, theologically or morally, and the same with our government. 
to make the effect there we can, to change what we can, to speak truth to it. We have freedom. Again, I'm going to say it. We're not under a tyranny, at least not yet, I hope. We have freedom. We have elections. We can, can, we can have a part. So the country gets bigger. It's a smaller part, but you have a part in determining who your leaders are going to be. Let's make wise choices with it. And I'm while we're at it, might I encourage that these other areas, education, business, media, arts, and entertainment, that wherever you have the chance, you influence those areas as well. These are the things that influence the way people think and live their lives. And we want to be influencing them for God, for good, for righteousness, for holiness. These areas, it's, it has stricken me that throughout the years, some of the most fervent people who passionately speak about these areas are evangelists. And some people say, well, these things, you talk about these things, it gets in the way of the gospel. Well, these are some of the greatest soul winners out there. And they realize that the that these seven mountains influence the, shall we say, the water in which we swim, the environment in which we're living in. They make it easier or harder for people to come to Christ, easier or harder for people to live a Christian life. And let me tell you, I this true. It's true. I'm out on the campus. When I'm out on the campus and I see how the education, the entertainment, the music, the movies, the social media, the, the business environment, all these things affect the way a people thinks about Christ and thinks about the gospel and thinks about the Bible. Oh, my goodness. Because we have failed in these seven mountains of cultural influence, our job in evangelists is much, much harder. And indeed, every one of these areas, let's be honest, the secularized humanists are coming after every one of these areas. They've come after the entertainment, the media, the business, the education. They've had those. They've come after the government. They're coming after the family, and they're coming after the church. And folks, we need to stand strong and do our part. Simple thing, pray. Simple thing, vote. Know the truth. Stand for the truth. Amen? Let's do it right now. Father in heaven, we come to you today, and we pray for our families. We pray for our churches. We pray for our government. These are three areas, Lord, three institutions you've established that we want to be under the lordship of Jesus. We want to honor each of these to honor you. We pray, Father, particularly in these upcoming elections. We pray for leaders who will lead us in the fear of God, who will, who will recognize their accountability to you, who will be people who will, re, will honor you and be humble before you. We pray, Father, for leaders who will protect and respect the family the Christian family, respect the, the Christian church and not come after our freedoms. We pray for those, Lord, who would respect life and protect life from conception to natural death. We pray, Father, for leaders who would help as we think of even, it is important, Lord, the, these gas prices and inflation. and These are affecting families. This is affecting how, how much fathers or moms need to be away from their kids and work hours uh, it's affecting how they can make ends meet. It's affecting how they can put food on the table. Lord, these are spiritual issues. And we see, Lord, we see our government just messing these things up and, and messing up life in these crises that could have been avoided, an international crisis. And oh my goodness, Lord, we pray for peace in Ukraine and Russia and this, this discussion of nuclear war. Lord, it just, it's, it sounds unfathomable. It sounds unfathomable, and yet it's being discussed as a real possibility. Lord, I pray 
for peace, and I pray for leaders who will be wise, discerning, God-fearing, God-honoring, that would recognize their need for your your wisdom, and would humbly be followers of you. I pray, O oh God, give us leaders in our families, our churches, leaders in our government, leaders in every mountain of influence who will be known most of all as a follower of Jesus more than even a leader of men. And that, that, that is a, as they follow you, they would become the leaders they ought to be. We pray for this. So much to pray for here, Father. I pray for Christians to rise up to do our duty and our part I pray we would not be silent in these days. We would not be AWOL in these days that are crisis days. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, folks, so glad to have you along with me today. We're here every day. I hope you can join us. We come here and we talk about the Word of God. We try and relate it to life. We try to be practical. And not only that, I hope to inspire and encourage you to live a godly life. It's tough in our day. We've got challenges. We've got, you, you, you could have people turn on you, be canceling you, criticize you, laugh you, mock it, mock it, ridicule you, mock you. Folks, to be strong for Christ in our day takes courage. And that's what I hope that as we get into the Word of God every day, 8.30 a.m. live in the, every day, and then you can watch later in the day or you can listen on the podcast, but if you are consistent here, you'll find inspiration, encouragement to be courageous and biblical understanding. So I hope you join us every day. I hope you come and join us every day. Make a commitment. You'll be glad you did. Your life will change. You'll be wiser and more godly. That's what we need in our day. That's a crying need in our culture, crying need in America, the people of God to rise up and be true Christians. Amen. So those of you here every day, I love you. I'm so glad to be sowing the seed of God's Word on good soil. I know it takes root in your life, and it's making a difference. So until we meet tomorrow, might the Lord bless you, strengthen you, encourage you, fill you with His grace and peace. I love you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.